as you find your seats, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Have we not had church already this morning? I mean, is that worship? I, I tell you, that last song, as uh, we realize the victory that Christ has won for us, the reality, I woke up this morning and I got to confess, don't tell anybody. Your pastor said this this morning, God, I'm thankful it's not Easter. It was a really three services last week. I'm just getting old, you know, but I, I said, but God, I'm grateful that I could celebrate like it is because Christ is risen from the dead. And the reality is that we have a hope that reigns, a hope that lives, a hope that will never dim no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. So, um, let us rejoice in that amazing goodness. All right. Question for y'all. How many of y'all had a Mr. Potato Head? It's okay to admit it. A Mr. Potato Head. I, I actually thought that Mr. Potato Head got popular because of the movie Toy Story. Uh, our very own uh, MCP director, Betsy Wilson, said that maybe during, it was during the uh, uh, Depression that kids didn't have toys to play with. Uh, so they actually used a potato. Uh, Okay, maybe so, but I, I do want to wonder how that actual idea actually emerged. Um, you may know that I did go to the Harvard of the South, Florida Southern, and, and got my marketing degree. I love marketing stuff, and I would love to have been in the pitch when they came in the room and said, okay, we got an idea. We, we want to take a potato in the shape of like a head, and we want to, uh, we want to like put stuff in the box where they could put things into the potato head and sell it to kids and say that they too could have their very own Mr. Potato Head. I mean, who in the room said, brilliant, yes, every kid needs a potato head. Well, why did it work? In many ways, Mr. Potato Head works because of the way God created us. Well, look at this, I'm connecting God's creation to Mr. Potato Head. You see, God created us in his image, and there's nobody more creative than our creative God. And as he created us in his image, he created us to be creative. And that's why at the youngest age, all the way up, we enjoy being creative. We enjoy making things. I think that's why it's so popular. We want a Mr. Potato Head of our own choosing. Maybe put a little mustache on him, glasses change out the ears. I mean, it's kind of a fun little game. But even though we desire to be creative because God created us to be creative, something happened along the way. The Bible tells us that sin got in the way. And when man rebelled against God, and although he created us to be creative, we decided that we wanted to be creative on our own. We wanted to be creative without God. We wanted to do it our own way, uh, with our own worlds, our own realities. That we, we actually, do you know what we, cho- we chose? Man and women chose a reality apart from God. We said we want to be creative without you. We want to color outside the lines you ask us to. We want to create our own world. You know what, even we went as far as, we want to create our own gods. The scary thing is, is we often try to create a Mr. Potato Head God. A God of our own choosing. In a world that wants to tell us coexist. In a world that wants to tell us there's many gods. Well, it's a God of your choosing. What's good for you? What works for you? And we live in a world that will say, it's a God of your own choosing. Or it's a God of your own making. Uh, Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, my my God wouldn't allow that to happen. Or my God's uh, not that kind of God. 
Or my God, he's a loving God and everything in his world is loving. And, and my God, it's really what you're doing is you're making a Mr. Potato Head God of, of your own choosing, of your own making. And we even go as far as we want a Mr. Potato Head God of our own convenience. I mean, the one thing about that toy is like, you know, hey, I want to play with Mr. Potato Head. Well, where is he? Let's get him out of the closet, get him out of the box, you know, uh, ha- have the few moments with the Mr. Potato Head and then put him away and, and kind of forget about him. Is it not true that we often, that's how we want God, that he's kind of put away in the closet and when things get bad and things get dark and things get scary, uh, we pull him out and dust him off and, and, and then when everything's okay, we kind of want him to go away and not get in our way. A God of our own convenience. A Mr. Potato Head God. I gotta tell you, this is not the God of the Bible. Uh, this is not the God who is a true and living God. Uh, he is the God who establishes relationships with us. It's, it's the fact that we are the people of his own choosing. If we are to have a relationship with him, it's all by his grace. I and mean, he's God, right? And we're, we're sinners. And if God comes to us, uh, he's the one who establishes the relational guidelines for us. There is one God. He is in control. There is one God. He has ultimate power. He's got ultimate authority. And because of that power, the authority, because he's God Almighty, he makes the rules with his relationships. He tells us, and he's so gracious, of how we can know and love him. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a, uh, uh, a young man who has recently joined the military, uh, maybe uh, uh, the army, let's say, and he is the uh, private. He comes in at the lowest ranks. And he shows up the first day for basic training and he marches right up to the commanding officer on the entire base. He says, now, hey, I'm here. I know you're so thrilled that I'm finally here. I know you've been waiting for me and I know that the whole base is blessed because of me. Now, let me tell you how this is going to work. I'm going to live in your bunk and I'm going to eat when I want to eat. And I'm going to wear what I want to wear. And this is the way this is going to go down. And you're going to say, uh, excuse me, uh, this is not how it works. Uh, I'm the one the general would say is the authority. I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who sets the guidelines. I'm the one who tells you when to eat. I'm the one who tells you what to wear. I'm the one who tells you what to do because I have the power and the authority. Without it would be what? Chaos. You know, the reality about our God is he's not just some general and he's not a drill sergeant and he's not somebody with a really big stick that wants to beat us into submission to say, I'm the one who's going to do it all. Ha, ha, ha. He's an amazing, loving, tender father, but he's God Almighty. And as God Almighty, we have to listen to him as the one who establishes the relationship with us. This morning, we're going to look to Genesis 17. And it's the guidelines that God gives us as he gives those in faith like Abraham how to live before him, how he establishes that relationship, how he tells us to have a sign and seal of that relationship. And we'll also find out God will not compromise this relationship. He won't let us settle for less. That's such good news. We're going to look at this chapter and it's really deep and it's really rich and there's a lot to it. But let's be mindful that this is really God loving us and telling us, I want a relationship with you. As you look at God's word in Genesis uh, 17, this morning I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. For some of you who notice these kind of things, this morning I'm going to be preaching out of the NSAB, the New American Standard Version. Uh, for most of the time I study, I, I preach out of the ESV. People always ask me, Pastor, what is the best translation of the Bible? And here is the answer. You ready? The best translation of the Bible is the one you read. 
All right, whatever one you read, that's the one I want you in. I mean, that's God's word. And so there are different translations. I love the NASB because it's a very literal translation. There's things about the text, I believe this morning, says a little bit clearer than it did in the ESB. Trust your ESB. That's all God's word. In the original, it is holy without error. It will never lead us astray. Um, and there's different versions. The NIV, it's more readable. The TNIV, uh, there's, there's translations like the Message in the Living Bible. Those are more paraphrased. It's not as literal. But I've read them, and they're awesome. And sometimes I get some great stuff from them. But again, the most important is the reality is it's God's word. Um, let's, let's make sure that we're true to God's word. And uh, someone asked me recently, you never wear glasses. Well, if you can see the print of this Bible I have this morning, I'm wearing glasses. So <laughs> let's read God's word together. Genesis chapter 17. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, whew, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, let's just flip back one verse. Chapter 16 ends with a story of Hagar, uh, the story of how they try to do it their own way. And it ends this way. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to him. So we have 13 years between 16 and 17. And now we have a young Abraham or Abram of 99. And the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed or your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed or your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said further to Abraham, Now, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your household or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people. He's broken by covenant. Then he said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah 
shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and he laughed. And he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princesses and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with Abram, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was very strategic age, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin. And the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Let us pray. Father God, this passage says that you and you alone are God Almighty. And this passage is clear that it's you and you alone who establishes a relationship with us. So God, what is equally clear is you have to be the teacher. You have to come and and speak to your people through a broken sinner like me. Oh, Father, would you give us ears, ears to hear the voice of your son, that promised seed to come, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your great name. Father, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that point to this God Almighty, true, that are true of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those words to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. In the bulletin, there's an outline for you if you want to follow along. The first thing we're going to see is this, is it's God's amazing grace that it's God who establishes a relationship with us. A God who will come to us. And I I love this passage. It's God coming yet again to Abraham. And God's done this several times. We picked it up in chapter 12. That God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And boy, am I going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so much that everyone is going to be blessed through you. And anyone who curses you, they're going to be cursed. And I'm going to give you descendants that are going to be more, more than the sky, the stars in the sky. It's amazing the blessings he said over and over and over to him. And even, listen, even when, when Abraham and Sarah mess up, 
And even when they take things into their own hands, and even when things get so bad that there's a scandalous relationship with this Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, and they're trying to help God out, God still graciously comes to his people, even when they're broken in sin and says, I want to hang out with you. I want a relationship with you. I'm not going to give up on you. I want to be your God. You know how gracious that is? You know how amazing gracious it is that God doesn't let go of his people? That God doesn't say, I'm done. I cannot believe how obstinate you are. I cannot believe how many times you wander. I cannot believe how smelly sheep you are away from me. So let's start off with the absolutely amazing good news of grace that God yet again comes to Abraham, knucklehead, father of the faith, and says, I want a relationship with you. And I want to be your God. And this amazing God, he says, but I'm the one who will establish this relationship. It's a covenant relationship. It's how God works. He promises us things and he asks things from us. He seals that with his very own blood. But God says, I'm God Almighty. I'm going to establish this relationship. You do not have a God. We do not have a God of our own choosing. We don't have a God of our own making. God Almighty is not the Mr. Potato Head God. He's so much better. And he says, that's the God I am. And I'm calling you into relationship. The reason I chose the NSAB is it makes it very clear that God establishes this relationship. Because it says this, as for me, God will say. Look in verse 4. He says, as for me, here are the things I'm going to do in this relationship. And as for you, in verse 9, Abraham, and as for you, Sarah, in verse 15, and as for you, even Ishmael, in verse 20, here's the things that you must do. You see, it's God. It's God who's establishing by his grace this relationship with us. And let's hear what he says. It's incredible. He starts off with this. He says, as for me, as for me, here are the things I'm going to do for my people, my beloved people. As for me, I will give you myself. I'm going to give you myself, a relationship with God Almighty. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to make a covenant relationship to be your God. And you will be my people. Can you stagger at that promise? Stagger at what he's offering you. He's not saying, I'll give you my powers. He's not saying, I'll give you my love. He's not just saying, I'll give you uh, uh, things in this life. He's saying, I'm going to give you my very self. I'm going to enter into a relationship with you. And that's why we as Christians can say the very life we have is Christ. I no longer live. The life I have is his. I'm his. He's given me a relationship with him. It's amazing. God could not give us more. He says, I want to give you my very self. But he says he'll give you even more than that. Not only will he give us himself, he will give us a seed of promise. He says, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful. I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to bless your descendants. And we know the Bible story unfolds from the beginning of Genesis and the curse that came. There was a promised seed that would come. A Messiah would come to make all things new. A Messiah that would come that would bring actually life from death. A Messiah that would come that would bring the kingdom of God here on earth. A Messiah would come that would make all things right. And that promised seed has come and his name is Jesus. And the beautiful thing about this relationship is God saying, I'm going to give you myself. And the way I'm going to give you myself is I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to give you a promise that the son will come and his name will be Jesus. He promises more because I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place where you and I could dwell together. I'm going to give you a place where, where man and God, just like that garden, can dwell together in harmony. It's not fully here yet. But God makes this an amazing promise. Because I'm going to establish a relationship. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to promise a savior. 
And then we have promised that we're going to dwell together and walk together in harmony. But he says this, as for you, one thing I love about this passage, what he makes clear about Abram and Sarai, he changes their name because why he has the authority to do so. You see, we don't bend ourselves. We don't bend God to ourselves. We don't have a Mr. Potato Head of our own choosing. God calls us. He changes our identity. God graciously bends us to him. God makes us more like him. And to show his authority, just like you as parents have the authority to name your children, God has the authority to give us our identity, our name. Let me change it. Let me show you. I'm going to call you Abraham. I'm going to call you Sarah. You are mine. He says two things in the beginning. He says, I'm God Almighty. I don't change. And what I want you to do is walk before me. Do you know how gracious that is? God's saying, I've created you in my image. I've created you for myself. I want you to live your, your life walking before me. What, what does that really mean? But really, this really means I want you, God is saying to us, I want you to orient your life, everything about your life around my reality, around my promises and around my demands. I want your life to be centered on. I want your life to be fixated on. I want your life to be consumed with. I want you to walk with me. I don't want the reality of all that I've done, all who I am, to affect every step of your life. I want you to delight in me. I want you to know me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to run to me. And I want to walk with you. Walk before me. Orient your entire life. Make every step in reverence of our great God. Make every experience knowing that God is truly Emmanuel, God with us. No matter how dark it is, no matter what your circumstances is, God is there and God is real and he is almighty. And he says this, not only walk before me, but he says, be blameless. How many of you just like, uh uh-oh, be blameless. What does he mean? Does it mean sinless? Because it means sinless, we're all disqualified, right? And this isn't meaning in the Hebrew, be sinless in the point that man or woman without sin, because no one would walk before him. But here's what blameless really means. It's wholeness of relationship. It's being all in. It's the integrity of your whole life. It's basically saying, I'm now living my life, all of it consumed by love, the love of God in Christ Jesus. That there's not some part of my life that I'm not surrendering to him. That there's not a Sunday life and a Monday through Saturday life. That blameless before him, it says, I am surrendering everything I got. Heart, soul, mind, all my junk, all my sins, whatever I think is righteous. I just blamelessly would say, God, I, I, you got to be my identity. You got to be my purpose. And I got to live for you and, and be blameless in every part of my life. He says, here's the requirements. I'm Lord Almighty. I'll set up the relationship. I'm going to give you myself. But now walk with me in Christ Jesus. Walk blamelessly. And he says more. He goes, I want the sign and seal of our relationship to be placed upon you. Jesus wants us to never forget. Is this is, this is a sign and seal of our relationship with God, these baptismal waters? He wants that sign and seal placed on us. I got to tell you, I find it a bit off-putting when people don't wear their wedding rings. I'm wondering how many of you are like now, like going like this, right? I mean, there's a reason why we give each other symbols and the rights. Because why? Because listen, we've made a covenant with another that we are going to love them till death do us part. We've publicly declared that we're in a relationship that two should become one. 
And we have a right, a symbol of that relationship. So the question is, why wouldn't we wear it? Are we embarrassed? Or do we want to communicate something that's not true? We're available. Again, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe you had an allergic reaction to it. And maybe you're going to email me and tell me I have a really good reason why I don't wear it. But when God establishes the guidelines, he says, what I want to do is I want a relationship with you. Then I want you to wear a symbol and a sign. It's an inward reality. And you are to be baptized into my triune name and you who believe and your children. It's interesting what God said in the old covenant. He says, I want you to be circumcised. I want the males to be circumcised. Why do you think God chose that? Well, let's look a little bit at the promise. What was the promise that God had? Abraham There's a seed to come that's going to fix everything. Abraham, I never want you to forget for one nanosecond of your life that not only are you in relationship with me, not only have I offered myself to you, but it's going to be in this relationship that I'm going to rescue the world. And that there's a seed to come. And I never want you to forget it. It's so symbolic. It's so meaningful. I'm demanding you place it on you and every single male that's born in your household or comes in your household. Never forget. I never want you to forget my love. I never want you to forget the depths of love for you. And I never want you to forget the hope of a seed to come. You know, Scripture tells us that that circumcision, it doesn't save us. It's a sign and seal that we are in a relationship with him. And it really, Scripture even says in Deuteronomy, it says that what's really God's requiring is our circumstances of our heart. That our heart is pierced by God's grace and faith. That we truly believe that Christ has come to rescue us. The circumcision of our heart is by God's grace that we bow before him and say, you are God Almighty and I'm not. And you have the right to tell me how to live. And oh, how you love me through the work of your son. You see, it really, circumcision not only reminds us of a promise that was made, but reminds us of a heart that has changed. You see, Abraham, it's, listen, Abraham believed in the Lord's promises. He believed first, and then it was credited as righteous. He was declared righteous, not because he had a symbol placed on him. There was nothing religious that made Abraham right. Do you get that? There's nothing that you could ever do or I could ever do. There's no religious ceremony or symbol or things that make us to be declared not uh, guilty or righteous before God. The only way that we could be made righteous before God is by God's grace and the work of his son. Because the truth is, is we're not, we're sinners. The truth is we're broken. But God took him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become our actual sin on the cross. And he did more than just that. He not only let Jesus become our sin and pay the price that holy God deserves to pay for sinners like us. He took the goodness, the holiness, the righteousness of Christ and exchanged it for our filth. And amazingly, now he sees us as beautiful and beloved. It's incredible. You see, we are by God's grace. Jeff Jakes is a sinner who stands before you amazingly loved by God because of the grace of God and the work of Jesus alone. And the only way we are declared righteous is by God's grace through faith. But now when we enter into that relationship, he says, hey, sign it, seal it, don't forget. And by the way, make sure your children have it too. See, if you see yourself, if you see God's word as one story, 
If you see this promise as one promise, a promise to us that's met in Christ Jesus, you would believe in covenant baptism. I didn't grow up in that tradition. But it was, not, it was not a thing like, hey, whatever's good for you. Do you think you should have your child baptized or not? What, what, what do you think? Well, if God's word's God's word, and I believe it's one story, and there's great godly men who see differently, and this is not something that's going to separate us at the end of the day. But I do want you to know, that's why I baptize my kids. Because in obedience, I wanted the sign and seal of God's love on them too. Lastly, and can I say, bestly? Can I make a new word? Lastly and bestly. That's your pastor. Go home and think about that one. (laughs) Uncompromising our relationship with God. I love love the response that uh, Abraham has to God. Did you notice that he kept on falling on his face? God came to him and said, listen, I'm going to bless you greatly. He's on the ground before him. And, he's, and, then, and then again, he says to him, he says this, he goes, hey, well, by the way, uh, I'm going to give you through Sarah, you're 99, Sarah's 90, I'm going to give you a child. He's on his face before holy God, and guess what he does? He laughs. I'm not, I, it's not all joy right there. There's got to be like, oh, whatever. Don't you love that? Don't you love that God's people both believe and struggle with belief? I mean, it said that very day he, he, he circumcised his kids. That very day he showed obedience to God. He was on his face in obedience to God. He believed God and was credited to him to be righteous. But he had no idea how God was going to do this. And it was, it was like ridiculous for God to think that this barren woman of his who's 90 is going to have a kid. And he doesn't quite fully believe. And he laughs. And he does this. He says, you know, he gets up and he says, God, let me show you Ishmael. He's a good boy. This is my 13-year-old son, Ishmael. And yeah, he didn't come the right way. And we try to plan things on our own. But would you just bless him? Would you let this one be the blessing? Would you let this one be the promise? Would, would you let this one be it? Because I could believe this one. Here he right is. He's here. And I love this. God says, no. No. Abraham, I'm not going to let you settle for second best. I'm not going to let you and the promises come through your design. I'm not going to bless your scheme. I'm not going to bless your plans. I got a better plan. The son of promise will come and he will set you free. Ishmael will only have you live before me like a slave. I want you to live before me like a son. I'm not going to let you settle. No way. And what he says amazingly about Ishmael, he goes, I love that boy too. And yeah, I'm going to bless him. But he's not the plan. That was your plan. That was your Mr. Potato Head plan. And I can't bless it. How many times do we do that? How many Ishmaels do we bring to God and say, will you bless this? God, this is, this is my design. This is my desire. This is what I want to do. God, bless my stuff. How come you're not blessing my stuff? Do you know that God can't? Do you know that God would be an idolater if he blessed our plans above his plans? Do you know that, that God would be letting us settle for second best, that we'd be slaves and not sons? He can't. And there's such beautiful, beautiful grace of God saying to his friend Abraham, no. Abraham, you're willing to settle for less, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to give you myself. And I'm going to give you a son. 
And I'm going to give you a hope to set you free. See, the only way for us to be right with God is Jesus. The only way for us to receive the blessings of God that he wants to pour into us is through sonship and forgiveness. It's through Jesus. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. Do you know the prime minister of South Korea has resigned? It staggered me to hear over the tragedy of the ferry and the number of deaths and specifically because they were children. I mean, there were high school students who died and the prime minister resigned. I thought, whoa. And then then it was a little bit less whoa when you realize the president has the authority. He didn't really resign. The figurehead resigned. But he resigned. And here's why he resigned. He said this. He resigned because, quote, Blaming deep-rooted evils in society for the tragedy that has left more than 300 people dead and missing. He resigned. Do you ever think that God should resign after a tragedy like that? I had a friend of mine who said to me, he goes, you know, Jeff, I'm struggling with this Korea, North, South Korea tragedy. I'm struggling. Because, you know, I know that God is in control of all things. And I know that God is good. But man, those were kids. I mean, how, how, how can he do it? And, and, and I could see in him and I could see in me as, as I hear our stories unfold. And listen, as tragedy comes into our lives and sometimes we want to say, really, God, really? I mean, Really? You're God Almighty. And we long say, maybe Mr. Potato Head God would fix this. Maybe I just want a God who doesn't let kids die and drown and pass. God's God Almighty. So what do we have? How do we do? What do we do? What do we do with a messed up, broken, sinful life in the world that we live in the midst of everything? I want to give you a thought. It's something that some have called the now and not yet. You see, Jesus came and when he came, he pronounced amazing good news. Amazing good news that God is for us and God is with us. And he's got such good news that the kingdom of God has come. And everything that we hoped for and everything that we longed in has come in Christ Jesus. And all the promises of God are going to find their yes in Christ Jesus. And that right now, at this very moment, we can have our sins separated from us as far as the east is from the west. I mean, right now, we can have a relationship with holy God as his sons. Right now. And right now, we can be guaranteed a future. And right now, we can be having life and life abundantly in Christ Jesus. The kingdom isn't fully here. Jesus isn't physically with us. The new heavens and new earth have not appeared. And right now we still have tragedy. And we still have brokenness. And we still have pieces of the story that just don't fit. And the answer is not in a Mr. Potato Head God. The answer is in God Almighty who would enter into our brokenness and be broken himself and through his brokenness healing us. And trampling over death by by resurrecting from the dead and giving us life that reigns and promises it true that one day he's coming back and every tear will be wiped away and every cancer will be defeated and he will reign with us. Not as a Mr. Potato Head God, but God Almighty, our Father. 
I don't think he should resign as God. I think we should be reminded of who he is and what he's done and long for his return. How is it with you? Do you have a relationship with a Mr. Potato Head God of your own choosing and your own creating? Or do you, by God's grace, have a relationship with God Almighty? Have you had the sign and seal of that relationship placed on you in obedience to God, saying, this is, you're the one who established the relationship. And upon your children. And are you asking God to bless the Ishmaels of your plans, of your life? Or are you coming in humble dependence upon your heavenly father and saying, give me Jesus. Because in him, I have all the blessings of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for not letting us settle for the Ishmael plans of our lives. Thank you for your grace to Ishmael. But thank you that you weren't going to say, okay, we'll take your plans. We'll try to make them work. You said, no, no, no. My plans, my relationship, my grace, my son. And those plans included us to be made alive in Christ Jesus. And those plans included us being forgiven. And those plans call us to live not as slaves of yours, but sons and daughters of yours. Sons and daughters to mighty God. God, thank you for the grace that you've given us yourself. You've given us your son. You couldn't give us more. And yes, God, we live in a world that's just so broken and so raw and so painful. So give us Jesus. And remind us of what we have now, of forgiveness in life. And remind us of what is promised and is guaranteed to come. That we'll someday see you face to face. And just give us the grace in the midst of the storm to stand for you. May we carry your love. May we be lights that shine brightly in this broken world for your grace. Give us faith, faith to believe. We pray in Christ's name, amen.